everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for an outstanding episode exploring participant questions and group responses on our Writing Works Wonders Writers Chat. We will field an array of writing questions and issues. If you're not in the Zoom room, you can always email questions to us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Get ready for another episode full of laughter, learning, and new ideas for readers and writers. Now, fire up your note taker and get ready for an exciting adventure with your fellow bibliophiles at Writing Works Wonders. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hi, everybody. Hi, Kathy. And do you know Kathy's on vacation and she's coming to us live from somewhere? We don't know where. <laughs> we always say, where's Lisa? Where's Kathy? Thank you. I'm so glad you're all with us today. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> hey, well, it was down to the wire. We're on a lake in New Hampshire at the foot of the White Mountains. And I knew I had connectivity but we stepped outside and locked ourselves out of the Airbnb. <laughs> Oops. Thankfully, my friend is very handy and she jimmied the lock and got us back in five minutes before we came on the air. That's, really happy about that. I'm happy about that too. <laughs> <laughs> so our prompt this week was 50 words max using the words wind, cardinal, and blue jay. And believe it or not, I'm going to read mine first. So here we go. High on the wind, I hear their song, each with distinction. Bright red is the cardinal, pleasant to hear. But watch for the blue jay, a mighty warrior defending his own. Birds, players, all work as a team. They circle the field, racing to score, slam, fly, slide. Who will win? Janelle, first up is Carol Mackey. Thank you. Windy chimes. When the wind is fierce, where do the cardinals go? And how do they know? Are blue jays there too? Do they huddle together, the red and the blue? Or are cardinals and blue jays each on their own hiding from the wind? Thanks. Next is Pam Johnson. I love the I love the cardinals, the state bird of Virginia, with its red, beautiful plumage. I enjoy the, their nests they make in the trees and the rafters of balconies, and how their baby birds just come out hatching, tweet, 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 and I love. Seeing also eagles fly in the sky. And you know, I thought one day, what if a cardinal would sail with a blue eagle, sailing in the sky high above the trees and mountains? But you know, I think a blue jay would be better to sail with an eagle, to fly on the shaft of the wind, high and gliding. I think blue jays would get along better with eagles anyway. <laughs> Next up is Marlene Massat. Nature by Patricia Hubsman. The wind blows. I can feel it on my face. 
the leaves rattle. They sound so noisy. The branches sway. I'm sure they're going to drop off. I sit on my bench and watch it all. I can hear a blue jay singing in the tree. I'm worried it might fall off its limb. But look, there's another bird. It's red and taking flight. It's a cardinal, the sign of freedom. The end. Annie Chapetta. Blue Jays Aren't Blue by Anne Chapetta. The phenomenon of light scattering is an artifice, filtering and fooling the eye, muting the spectrum except for blue. A crushed cardinal feather is red through and through, but the wind cannot be fooled. Marcia? The cardinal and the blue jay. It was a windy spring morning, and Mama Cardinal had flown off to find breakfast for her and her fledglings. As she was cracking the sunflower seeds, she heard her nemesis, a young blue jay, who was seeking mischief and flying around her young. She took off and chased him until he flew onto a limb and was promptly gobbled up by a hawk that was also hungry. The end. These are all so vivid, aren't they, Cheryl? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kathy, back to you. All right. We just want to mention that uh, when Cheryl put together that prompt, we thought we might get something about baseball teams, too. (laughs) That's why I blended them. (laughs) Yep. So it's really interesting now that you know what was behind that. So today is our writer's chat. And this is rather an open forum about writing and all things related to writing. And we'll ask you to raise your hand and share your question or issue related to the writing process or publishing process. And then we'll take a few suggestions from our participants and Cheryl or I might chime in as well. And then we'll move on to the next question. And so what we want to do is you ask questions, but then also our participants in the room will help answer it as well. So this is a group effort and an opportunity for all of us to feed each other, as it were. Who has the first question that they would like the group to entertain? Lisa G. Thank you. Um, I have a question that you've written down. What is a query letter and when do you use them? I feel like such a novice. A query letter is your pitch. You're pitching your story to a publisher, to an editor. It's when you're presenting your manuscript, part of your manuscript. We've talked about reading the guidelines. They may only be looking for a couple of pages, but most of the time you'll see attach a query letter. Yeah, so it's not to other authors. It's to either a publisher or an editor. And you you have in mind... Yeah, or agent, you have in mind what it is that you want to submit to them, to write to them. And this is your first point of contact, usually, very often. And so it's like a cover letter, but specifically for the publishing process and to be considered. And like Cheryl said, most often we don't submit a whole manuscript, but in some cases that is the what they're asking for. A lot of times they're just asking for a synopsis. And there's a limited number of pages you can submit with your query letter. Diane Linda? Yes, hello. I wanted to comment on the query letter, if that's okay. Sure. So I belong to this organization called SCBWI, and it's for writers of 
children's uh, work. And they kind of offer a formula for the query letter where mm-hmm. the first paragraph is sort of an introduction that states why you're approaching this particular person or company to publish your work, or maybe it's a magazine. Uh, so you're kind of trying to make a connection between your work and what they um, what they like to do. And then the second paragraph is usually kind of your hook or a pitch about your story, uh, including the title and just more information about that. And then the third paragraph, they say, is more details like your word count, uh, who your readers may be, if you have any comps that, at least this is for a book, maybe a comp. I don't think a magazine article would (laughs) require that. And then your last closing paragraph is sort of more about you as a writer, you know, just kind of your own personal background information. That's very mm-hmm. helpful as a general guideline, but those specifics in my publishing experience, some of those specifics are what you would put in your book proposal. So that would be a second stage contact. This is where it's helpful to know your market and do research about who you're sending your material to and what they're looking for in your query letter. A lot of times that will be defined. And also some agents and publishers won't accept query letters. They just want proposals. And so it's going to be more word count in market. Who's your market? Who are your readers? Who are the competition, et cetera? They kind of skip the query letter part and go right to a proposal very detailed proposal that could be like 15 pages long, whereas a query letter usually is no more than two pages, preferably one page. So you really have to know who you're sending it to and doing that research, which is so much easier now that a lot of these folks have their information online for us. And we don't have to go through all the big books in the library to find out all that information like we used to in the dark ages. But yes, that's very helpful as a general guideline and bringing up the point that you need to know more about who you're submitting to. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next up, you have Dave Trevino. I have recently published a book uh, containing two stories, The Message That Wasn't There and The Wrong Trumpet. And this this 21st century marketing is is a whole new thing for me. And I'm starting to uh, build an author platform. My understanding is one of the first things you need is an email list. And I'm wondering what services that uh, allow people to uh, subscribe to your email list are accessible to users of screen readers. Anybody have any ideas on that? Well, my first question is, what do you mean by an author's platform? Do you mean an author's website? No. An author's website can do all the things you're talking about. Yeah, but but if you want to build uh, an email list. You can do that in a website. Hmm. Yeah. And how would you go about doing that? Yeah. So let me tell you the great news. Cheryl and I have a book coming out very shortly on building websites for authors, specifically those who are visually impaired. 
And so um, if you build your website in WordPress, WordPress is very user friendly. And the um, theme that I discuss in that book, we discuss in that book, is very screen reader friendly for the designer and for users. And so you can do your marketing in there. You can connect it to your social media. And you also can have people sign up for your list, your email list right in your WordPress website. And then you'd have a list of them. You even, even can use applications to send out emails to those folks from within your website. So the, all of that is available through a WordPress website. And so it would have everything consolidated. For Writing Works Wonders, what we're using for our mail list is an integration. And so several specific mailing list programs out there, platforms. MailChimp is um, free up to a certain point. And then MailerLite is the one that we use because it gives you many more users before they start charging you. If you go with something like Constant Contact, you're going to be paying very quickly to be able to use that service. Okay. And, and do you, what do you know about ConvertKit? Don't know that one. Okay. But MailerLite, for instance, I, it's basically a database, but it has a web-based front end that I use. There's a sign-up form on our website for the Zoom links. And when somebody fills that out, boom, their information drops right into that database. And they're listed in our Zoom link database. When somebody participates in an open mic and signs up, they get added to our open mic database. And so if I have something to send to people about open mic, I just tap those databases. When I tap, when I want to send something about a Zoom meeting, our little newsletter, I tap those and it sends it directly to them. They call them segments. And there's all these different technical terms they use, but that's a simple way of explaining it. Because you might find pretty soon that you would like to have different groups within your large mailing list. And some of the easier mailing list programs don't allow you to do that very uh, smoothly. So I would investigate and look at, because you need a website. If you don't already have one, you need a website. I've got one, but I did not set it up. And uh, (laughs) so you're not able to update it. Yeah. You're not able to update it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd really recommend that when our book comes out in the next few weeks, that you take a look at that, listen to it. And okay. see about designing your own website. It's very straightforward. Then what you'll about be able learning to WordPress? That's yeah, what the it's book's all about, about. WordPress. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the title it's of your... going to right through that. Okay. The title of your book is going to be... Web Design for Authors. Okay. We'll yeah. be on the lookout yeah. for it. Thank and you. It's, it's a visionary series. We yep. You can do it with your eyes closed. Yeah. And <laughs> I hope I'd like so. To, okay. And That's I'd like the to point. Com- I'd like to comment quick because I, I don't know if we answered all the questions, but you asked about a mailing list. Building our mailing list ourselves is the best way to do it. Exactly. And then, and then check in with Behind Our Eyes. Many of our participants here are part of that group. Yeah, and, I'd like to know uh, about that. And we have that information on our website, but I'll be happy to send it to you too. So there's a lot of different avenues to go, but I'm going to move on. Thank okay. you, Dave. Dave, if you go to our website, and scroll or do a search for episode 49, you'll find that we are interviewing behind our eyes. There's a whole episode we did with them. Cheryl and I and Marlene 
We're all part, and Annie, are part of Behind Our Eyes. It's a very good group. But you can listen to a whole episode of Writing Works Wonders where we talk with and about Behind Our Eyes. That's episode 49 on our site and our feed. So let's go back to Carol Mackey. Thank you. Um, my, my question, or I'd love to hear how other people do it. Some of you know that I've been, been writing and sending out emails with a poem every day. I've done it since the 4th of January anyway. And I plan to, to get it together and do a book with it. Right now, I look at it and think, oh, my God, Carol, you've got to revise these. And there's a part of me that wants to start right now, go back and revise. And I do a little bit of a revising along the way, but it's going to take a one poem at a time, revision time, time to spend with each one. And I'm wondering, should I wait until the end and I get them all and, tr- and start again? Or should it be an ongoing process? I don't quite know where to go with that. Thanks. Okay. Somebody have answers for that? Hey, Carol. It sounds to me like you're ready to get the collection in some kind of order and you just need to the first step. What I did with my first collection was I tried to pick out a theme before revising the poem seriously and seeing if they they fit together, if there's a theme or some kind of thread along them, you know, something that resonates with you about the poems and pick the ones out that you really like the most and then see where it goes. There are, there are a couple of poetry collections by poets and you can go to poetsandwriters.org to see which poets have memoirs and how to's. But I think going with your gut and picking the ones out that you feel are the best is the first step and then um, parse them out for um, what needs some revision, what you don't think needs revision. And also a beta group of trusted people is probably a good bet. So Annie, when you're saying read through and see if there's a common thread, is that for the entire publication or to have separate sections maybe in the book? It could be either purpose. Okay. I've done it both yep. ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've weeded out poems that really don't fit with the general theme of things, you know, and it could be something like relationships, poems mm-hmm. that touch upon a relationship could be in one pile. Poems that don't really do that could go in the other pile. And then you just do that and, and you take your time with it and you sit with it. And, and maybe those revisions come after you start choosing the ones that you feel that are the best. Uh, and you'll see that after a period of time, you've, you've managed to separate things a little bit and um, have a, a more objective eye with your poetry. And that's the hardest part is not being objective about your poetry because it's your poetry. It's you're so subjective. It's your feelings, your emotions, your observations. And separating from that is probably the hardest part uh, mm-hmm. about this whole process. No. I think you described that you. very well, Annie. That's really good advice. And it, I think for all writers, uh, we go through some of similar um, mm. stages, separating ourselves so that we can yeah. be more objective. But there's also sitting with your work and letting it almost like marinate and you're sitting with it and going through it and seeing how it fits together or doesn't and trying to create cohesive read that people will understand. And it really increases the value when you can do that. And so that's a very familiar writing process, even for novels, 
uh, and short stories. So thank you for mm -hmm. that. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I just would, in response, thank you very much, Annie. That was wonderfully helpful. The other piece of what you said that I really do need to do is get the out, get a beta group, get outside mm -hmm. observation. Thanks. Marsha Summers has raised her hand. Hi, Carol. I'll be one of your beta group. There you go. They're lining up, Carol. They're lining up. <laughs> Thanks, Marsha. So uh, we had a question asking about, you know, part of what we do as authors, you know, our website's important, but also social media is important. And we have um, two episodes about website development that are companions to the new book that we're publishing. But thinking about social media, do any of you have people that help you with your social media or maybe do it for you? Uh, because being involved in social media on a regular basis takes a lot of time and therefore takes a lot of time away from our writing. And then another part of that question we'd love to hear about is how do you measure the return on your investment of time or money in social media? Because if we expend time and or money or other resources, we want to see that something's coming back for it. That helps us make a decision whether to expend resources in that direction. So how do you measure that? Anybody have ideas on that? Marcia Summers has her hand raised. I would Great. just like for you to describe to me what social media means to you. Does that mean that emails that I talk to or does that mean going on the Internet or... Does that mean that's a great, great question, Marcia? Okay, so sh social media generally is talking about Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Our email distribution list that you're on is not exactly social media because it's not broadcasted to everybody, it's only to those people that have signed up for it and requested it. TikTok has book talk has become very big with authors and readers to hear about books on there. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're talking about, are those kind of platforms that are basically public, public discourse. Marlene, that was yeah. next? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I do not have a lot on this particular topic. Um, I have a link in Facebook and Goodreads um, and Twitter and Amazon accounts. I Patty Fletcher, my marketer, is a godsend because she helps me out with my Facebook and all that stuff. Because of her encouragement and her help with postings, I've actually gone from no income to a very small income as a as yet somewhat mostly unknown writer. But I had a question. Kathy, I want to know what lake you're on in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm near Lake Winnipesaukee. I went on a tour of it yesterday. We're on a, sm a little, much smaller lake called Winnipesaukee. You know, Winnis one of those Winnipesaukee or something like that. Maybe yes. Ten minutes from the edge of Laconia. Oh, I know where you are. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Annie Chapetta. Hey, earlier on you mentioned comps and query letters. And mm -hmm. when I was first starting out trying to understand, you know, how to create a query letter, I was miffed about what they meant by comps. So could anybody dig into that a little bit to explain what a comp is and why it's important to your query letter? Uh, a comp would be something comparable to your book. Like saying, 
what did I just read? I read one where, let's say, let me just say Star Wars meets Back to the Future or something, you know, where you're using a scenario between your book comparing with others. What do you think, Kathy? Well, my oh, experience with comps when publisher asks you for comps is something a little different. It's okay. what it is, is you're saying what is already out there that we're competing with. It's talking mm-hmm. about competition. And so what is the existing market? And so if you're writing um, mm-hmm. a mystery novel, um, what are other mystery novels that would be targeting the same audience, mystery and mm-hmm. romance or mystery and mm-hmm. comedy, et cetera, et cetera, and listing those and how particularly and how big a market are they covering? What is their readership? You can see that on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And what distinguishes your publication from them? Why should the publisher or the editor bother with yours? What makes yours different? So you're investigating the field. And we did this with both of our books, all three of Mm -hmm. our books that we're Mm -hmm. writing to see what's out there already. Is there a gap that our idea can fill? And Mm -hmm. so that's what the publisher wants to see is data about what exists how big a market is there for what's out there already? And how is what you're proposing different? Why should they bother publishing yours or an editor edit it or, you know, promote it? The other part of that is that helps you frame what can go on the back cover and in your preface, right? right? Because you can talk knowledgeably about what exists, right? Right. Because then you can bring them together, like say, take two of those books and bring them together. Because then you're saying one meets the other and they're combined and and people resonate with those other popular. But it's also when you think of comps, you think of you think of real estate. Realtors have to have comps. They got to have what's on the market now and what has sold that's comparable to your house in your neighborhood, like comparable to like what Kathy was saying, your book, your readers, what's out there and what's your competition and why is yours better? Exactly. Same, same process only with publications. Yep. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Lisa, (laughs) go ahead. But thank you. You know, this is uh, very good information. So what makes for a really good query letter? I would say, first of all, doing research about who you're submitting your query letter to. Just like your book or publication needs, you need to know your audience. You need to know the audience and what they're looking for for that query letter. A lot of times, say if you're sending it to an agency or to a publisher, a lot of times you'll actually even get the name of the person. And so you can Mm -hmm. research that person a little bit as well. But basically, basically, you want to make sure you include those elements that I think it was Diane mentioned most of those elements. What's a synopsis of your book? Why does this book matter? Your pitch? Who the heck are you? And how do you fit in with the person or the publisher that you're submitting to or the journal or whatever? You also, Lisa, this is a strategy I would suggest to everybody. If you're going to write a query letter, go online and do a search. What is a query letter, templates for query letters, examples of great query letters? You'll find a lot of recommendations and suggestions how to do it. Then match that up with Mm -hmm. the information that you know about who you're submitting to and kind of like mix and match. Okay, this publisher wants XYZ. How do they say to present XYZ? So that's always a great way to go in it. Marlene Massat. 
I just wanted to say another uh, resource is to go to writersdigest.com and you can mm-hmm. search their website and you'll find articles on all kinds of topics, anything having to do with writing. Absolutely. And I'm sure they have articles about query letters. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and they probably also have articles on how to do, how to come up with your comps and how to present your comps, et cetera, for, to a publisher. So one of the things I was thinking about was we asked this a lot of the people we interview, but I think it would be really good for us as a group to talk about. How did you start writing, making, making writing a, a practice or a habit or identifying yourself as someone that likes to write? My writing started as a journal. I was journaling since I was a teenager. Then I morphed into writing because of my academic career. I had to write you know, research papers. And then I wanted to get my ideas out there. So I moved up to the next level of writing books to get my thoughts and ideas out there in unique ways. I didn't write traditional books in academia. So how did you folks, all of us have different journeys and pathways in this. And we don't necessarily get to hear that from our group. We hear it from the authors we interview. So I'd love to hear All right, and it's time for people to raise their hands. First up, we have Calandra, and then Carol Mackey will follow. When I was, let's see, 11 years old, without a grade to do, I went to Texas School for the Blind in the fall, um, once again on the third year. And I was in a familiar class with, like, maybe five, six, seven people. We learn how to write in a journal a few sentences about what we would what we did you know the following day or the day before and all of the uh things if we liked it or not or whatever what we did yesterday and there so forth and we were encouraged to write in it every single day we never been told that we didn't have to do it every single day. Since then, it got me inspired to write short poems and short stories. As I grew up, I never published them. However, I did publish a recipe in one of the uh, Reader's Digest magazines when I was 19. And there was, uh, I was just getting ready to graduate, or I was graduating high school, I got the shock of my life when I got the tape, and my sister who was home that day, that uh, year, had gotten the shock of her life when she looked up the uh, magazine that was in print that came along with it and saw that I had written a recipe out of a magazine of some sort, and um, and then. That there was, you know, I did try to want to publish things in the magazines, but I never got through with it. And I started getting interested in writing songs and stuff like that, that I would make up or that would come to mind. And ever since then, and, you know, I wrote um, this stuff about Cardinal, a Cardinal recently, which was, I finished it within two days, but... I started wanting to write about animals, about people, about, you know, even true stories. And like I told you, I got into this memoir writing and it, you know, sparked my interest even more. So 
it went to writing scriptures and everything like that. So you name it, I pretty much did it. It really sparked my interest. There's my writing. It's kind of evolved over time, right? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Linda. We're, We're so glad you're part of this group. Thank you. Let's go ahead and go to Kim. Hey, everybody. Um, you know, for me, it was really, it happened over a long period of time. And I would, I would wake up in the morning and I'd have these ideas in my head. And what was inspiring me were um, Bible stories, sermons that I might have heard. I, I felt, I feel called to write spiritual poems. That's mainly what got me started, and I finally submitted one to the magazine, and so I'm working on other ones, but ideas from sermons like, what happened, what was Noah thinking when God was closing the door on the ark, and, you know, things like that, where I just started going, okay, it's almost like John in Revelation, you know, the, mm-hmm. the spirit told me, write. And I said, what should I write? <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Thank you. You know, I just thought, and I don't know, Kathy, if this is similar, but I was thinking, well, that's kind of a way to can write fan fiction and not have to worry about oh. copyright. All right. Next up is Dave Trevino. Well, the way I started writing. It wasn't actually writing. I made up stories at night to tell to my brothers. I took uh, situations in our neighborhood and hikes across the creek and all kinds of stuff. I did not own a a braille writer. And slate and stylus writing at that time was cumbersome for me. And, and braille paper was not real plentiful. So I would write on junk mail. When When I got my first tape recorder, that was really cool because then I could just speak my ideas. So as as I grew, writing was easier. Now I don't go anywhere without a slate and stylus. And of course, the note taker has just rocketed me into, uh, I can write anywhere, you know, just like sighted folks can. It's, 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 it's incredible. And you can copy and edit and it's, just really neat. So, uh, so I've, I've been writing for years, many years and, uh, it's fun and I'm looking to turn it into profit as well as talk about what people who are blind are capable of doing in the world. In the sighted world, we're incompetent till proven otherwise, but we start off being bumbling, uh, how can you do anything not been able to see or nothing, you know? And and so I'm, I'm writing stories to deal with that based on my life experiences. It's just, it's fun and it's hard work, but, but it's rewarding. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Annie, for mentioning reading because as a child, I was an avid reader. I still, I had sight and I could read and uh, did kept a also a diary, and I still have those tucked away, and they were amazing. I wrote 
you know, pages in a big, I needed to have a bigger diary because I had so much to write. These little (laughs) one little, this plot didn't do it. The other thing that in high school I did uh, writing and I would write little things here and there. But I think one of the, the highlights for me was in college, I took a children's literature course. And that was a one, that was really enlightening for me. And one of the assignments was to write a child's book. And I put that together. And the title of it was, was about a, a bunny who was part bunny and part duck. And I remember that, you know, it, it was, it was right a, quite a process. And I do, that was important. And I've been writing poetry and that kind of thing since. And I've really gotten back to it more, interestingly enough, um, since my eyesight has gotten poorer. I can't say, well, I guess I would. Yeah, I'd say it. maybe it's become much more important to me um, the way I spend my time. But it's important that I do that every day. But, but keeping it up, I have to be motivated. That's the, not, I have to have a, be accountable. And this group has helped me to do that, that's for sure. Whatever it is, it's absolutely been helpful to me. So just give you the credit where it's deserved. Thank you. And Pam Johnson also has her hand raised. Hey, Cheryl, Kathy. You know, I started uh, writing when I was actually uh, in third grade, yeah. And then since then, poetry and in English composition, My uh, in college, my teachers liked my writing and um, in high school also. And so uh, that kind of encouraged me a lot. And then I, of course, uh, was in a writing group in the library once for for over a year, playwriting classes, of course. And so mm-hmm. um, playwriting is one of my uh, favorite favorite kind of writing. And so that's kind of how actually I got into writing. I like this. I had encouragement from others, and I just started doing it. And other people liked it. It was like, oh, well, this is great. And I almost had enough to minor in English. I had about 18 credits left to uh, minor in English. Great. Thank you. We've we've been trying to do it, and we'll keep that in mind for playwriters. Hi, Alice. Hello. I just wanted to give you a little sample of full circle. It applies to the question at hand. When I was in the second grade, and we were in a rural grade school of 88 students in all, two classes per classroom, and my teacher was a young teacher, and she allowed us to write poems and present them in front of the class. And that's the first poem I remember writing, and it was about poodles, and I'm such a dog lover. I was ever since I was born, I think. So I wrote a poem about poodles, and I don't have a copy of it, but I remember distinctly presenting that in front of my class, And lo and behold, a week ago, my teacher celebrated her 90th birthday and found out about this through a friend who had seen this on Facebook that her daughters were requesting that her students, and of course she had many, many over the years, uh, would send a, a Facebook note or comment or send birthday wishes or cards or flowers, whatever. So I wrote her a long letter and letting her know how much that experience in second grade blossomed for me through the years. 
and um, sent a birthday card with it and such. And so it, it just seemed like, you know, the world, my little world had gone full circle <sighs> by being able to write and share uh, how my writing had progressed and how I had become a teacher of writing and then, you know, somewhat of a writer in my retirement now. So thank you for letting me share that. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Alice. Thank you. I was listening to everyone talking about writing since they were young. I had a couple diaries, but I didn't write a lot because there was no privacy. What I did was I turned to art. I drew, I um, sketched, I painted. But then when my vision started going, I got back into writing again because I can no longer do the artwork. But we use cassettes, which I have now put onto CDs, onto other drives. And the youngins in our family now, my nephews, they all have a copy of things that my sister and I did and our friends and neighborhoods. And it's hysterical, even today. And what's so neat is when I listen to these things we did as plays or shows or whatever we did, I can see us. I can see us doing it. And I cherish these things that we did with tapes and voice. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for sharing their stories. Yeah. Thank Thank you you. for letting us. Yeah. We have another fun prompts for this coming week i don't know about you guys but here's one that kind of resonates with us here in the lovely state of new york it is first the month of august heat h-e-a-t drought and the lovely wind chimes so your words this week are drought august heat and wind chimes and you can use up to 75 words genre of your choice let's have fun i cannot wait to hear yours next week and thank you everybody as always you're just fabulous and when i mentioned the thing on google it's mainly because it was so cool when i went and i looked and then i i don't know i was searching for something and when i saw acb.org acbmedia.org and then writing works wonders and it's all because of all of you Kathy. Thank you, everyone, for making this another amazing episode. And for our listeners, don't forget next Friday, we have a very special guest with us, Anthony Corona. You know him as the popular ACB Media Sunday Edition host. But wait till you hear about his writing career. We always have a great time with Anthony. So be on the August 26th show next Friday here on Zoom. And then September 2nd will be Labor Day weekend, so that we will not have a Zoom call that Friday, but we will have something new on the air, on the feed. And when we come back on September 9th, it will be with a big bang. We'll have a tremendous author interview with Ellen Hildebrand. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and previous episodes. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonders of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. 
and tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.